Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Anwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Anwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Hey everyone, welcome to the Heme Consults podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Anwemena, hematologist to nations, coach of champions, and speaker extraordinaire. <laughs> It is a pleasure to be talking with you today, and today's episode is called Explicit Bias, and today's episode comes because the response to last week's episode was a little bit overwhelming, (laughs) and people said, yes, yes, you named it. You named exactly the experience I was having, what I was feeling, but people want fun and more. It's like, well, so what do I do? What do I do with microaggressions. Okay, I get that I need to get the poison out, but but give me a better, a bigger strategy. And so today's episode really comes from a follow-up to last week's episode to say, okay, let me talk to you about what I think is a strategy that you need to win in your environment. And I felt like it was important to talk about explicit bias. So we're talking about explicit bias today. And I want to let you know that as you're navigating the academic culture and you are experiencing bias in different ways, whether it's microaggressions or it's an overt explicit bias, you you really could do better with a coach. And I do want to just say that explicitly. And I hear people say, well, I can't really afford to have a coach. And I just want to say that you can't afford not to have a coach. Because when you think about, you know, coaching, and, and, and I think that term comes from the world of sports, there's no player that does well without a coach. And so I want to invite you to consider working with me. Let's talk and see if we can set up a consult call and figure out if this is the right relationship. And if you decide it it is for you, if we decide it's a fit, then we go forward. But whether it's me or not me, you need a coach. Because if you're going to play well, if you're going to play this game while people are booing you (laughs) from all sides, you need strategy. And so I think that coaching is one of those ways where you can really have a winning strategy where you win in the midst of all these challenges that you experience. So yeah, if you are thinking of working with me as a coach, send me a DM and let's set up a coaching consulting call. All right, for today's episode, the theme scripture is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And this one I'm actually going to read. It says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And today's episode is really just talking about really the greatness of love. And I know I'm talking about explicit bias, but I'm telling you (laughs) that the underlying theme of this episode is really the greatness of love. Okay. (laughs) It'll all come together at the end. I promise. Okay. But before I get into today's episode, I just want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, to have compassion on yourself. I just want to encourage you to have compassion. And, you know, many times we look at ourselves and we say, what's wrong with you? And, and we yell at ourselves and we speak negatively to ourselves and we just, we're just not nice to us. And it's not okay. People don't thrive under abuse. And whether that abuse comes from the outside, and especially if that abuse comes from the inside, 
it is super hard to work well, to be your best, to bring your A game if you are under constant criticism from the person who should support you the most, and that's you. And I want to say that if you are filled with negative self-talk about yourself, whether that self-talk is internally generated or came from maybe your mother, maybe your grandmother, I don't know what voices you heard in your childhood that you've internalized that allow you to call yourself names or get down on yourself, I just want to encourage you to show compassion. I want to encourage you to show compassion because number one, you're human. Oh my goodness, you're a human being. That means you're full of flaws. You're full of inconsistencies. You're full of idiosyncrasies. It's just the experience of being human. You are a flawed person and that is your power. That is your superpower that in spite of all your flaws, you are still winning. You're still making it. You're still making a great contribution to the world. And so I want you to have compassion on this woman of color who's killing it, who's doing great things, who's working hard, who's breaking barriers, who's pulling all-nighters, who's working so, so hard. And the response you need to have to this woman, the response you need for yourself is a response of compassion, is coming at yourself from a place of deep love and compassion. It's saying, hey, it's okay that you're tired. Hey, it's okay that you don't want to go to work today. Saying, hey, it's okay that you made a mistake. You are human. And we are better able to show compassion to other people than we are to ourselves. But I do want to encourage you to just show yourself compassion and love. Because you know what? You, you are the one who's with yourself daily, constantly. And you can't even rely on other people to show you the compassion you need because they're not with you like you're with yourself. And so if you're going to receive the love, the warmth, the the grace that you need, it's going to start first with you. And so I want to invite you to show yourself compassion because you deserve compassion. You deserve compassion because you're human. And you are, you're, you're, you're human, <laughs> you're fallible, you make mistakes. You make mistakes because you try. You make mistakes because you take risks. And that's something that we should show compassion for ourselves for. Not criticizing ourselves for trying, not criticizing ourselves for pushing hard, but having compassion on ourselves. And so I invite you, I invite you into a space of compassion for yourself, for your experience. Please have compassion on yourself. All right. Let's move into today's episode. We're talking about explicit bias. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you about an experience that happened to me, wow, about maybe 21, 22 years ago now. I was interviewing for medical school. And at the time, I was interviewing for MD-PhD programs. And spoiler alert, I did not get into an MD-PhD program. But I was interviewing, and I was interviewing at this really prestigious university in a big metropolitan area. This was one of my top choices. I mean, it was such a prestigious university. I was so excited. And, you know, we did the day of interviews and we had a lunch and this was a lunch with faculty and all the candidates. There were probably about, oof, there were probably at least 10 to 15 of us, maybe more. 
And they bust us over to this place where we would, it was like the faculty club or something, and we would have lunch with the faculty. And so I was at a table with two other candidates. So there was one candidate to the left of me and one candidate to the right of me. And then there were two faculty members. And throughout lunch, not once did any of the faculty members speak to me. They didn't speak to me. They didn't look at me. And the whole time I kept thinking, I'm like, okay, I said something, but how is it that nobody responded? I asked a question. How is it that, that they didn't hear me? And I kept trying to like make sense of my experience as I was effectively shut out of the conversation. The candidate on either side of me would turn around and talk to me. But every time I addressed a question to the faculty, they wouldn't look at me. They wouldn't respond. They said nothing. So it was literally an hour of trying to break into this conversation that nobody, at least the faculty, would not let me in. And at first I started thinking, okay, it must be me. Maybe it's because I'm not right next to them. So maybe they can't hear me. And then I would speak louder and the same thing. And, you know, it, it really took me some time over the course of this lunch to finally figure out that, oh, wait a minute. No, no, this is not me. This is intentional. They're intentionally not talking to me. And I couldn't figure out why. Like, why aren't they talking to me? Why, why aren't they looking at me? Why aren't they including me in this conversation? I mean, I was totally perplexed. Okay, so the conversation comes to an end. Lunch comes to an end. They put us back in the bus. And on the bus the whole time, I'm thinking about my lunch experience. And I'm like, what happened? It, it just didn't make sense to me. And when evening came, the day of interviews was over. And then we were going to have this thing where we we're going to meet with other MD-PhD students in the program and with the candidates, and we're going to go out for a night on the town. And when I finally got through the interview day, and this is the space between the interview day and hanging out with the candidates and MD-PhD students, I was alone in my room. I was staying with an MD-PhD, and I just broke down and I started crying. (laughs) It was the first time in the day that I actually was able to just process what I had experienced over lunch. And it just, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't name it. I just knew it felt awful. And I knew my stomach hurt so bad. I knew my heart hurt so much. And I couldn't explain what just happened to me. But I know I felt horrible. I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to talk to anybody. But it was just the first space I had where I was by myself and I could finally just acknowledge that I had experienced something so awful. But, you know, it was just a short window. So I like cried for that 30 minutes. I got myself together and then I went out and I was like, I know I need to make it through. It was two days of interviews. So I had just made the first day of interviews. I needed to do this thing with the candidates and the students for that night. And then I needed to do the next day of interviews and go home. So I kind of needed to just push this ugliness into the back of my experience and finish the day. And I did. I finished, you know, the night. It was so hard. Everyone's trying to engage me, and I just I couldn't engage because I was like, this place is so awful. I feel so bad. I can't be here. And when I finally went home to my home institution, and I spoke to one of my professors, my my one of my just greatest mentors, Dr. Holly Becker Tong, about it. <laughs> and here's how she put it: She said, "You know, when you leave the walls of our institution, you meet people who don't think like us." That's how she explained it to me, and. I still didn't understand what she was trying to tell me. She didn't explicitly name it for me. She was just like, you know, there are these people who don't think like we do at our institution. 
And I was just like, I don't care. I just know that that's a horrible place. I will never go to that institution. I can't believe the way they behaved. I mean, I just, I still could make sense of it. Okay, fast forward now (laughs) to the year 2023, literally two weeks ago. And I was at a session where I shared the story. And later on, I was having a conversation with somebody in this group. And she named it for me. She said, what you experienced was explicit bias. And it really took 20 years for someone to say that experience you had was an experience of explicit bias, for it to finally just come together for me and close that chapter in my head. And I, I didn't even know that this had been kind of like circling in my head. It was kind of interesting that it was a story I shared. I, I don't share this story very often. It's not one of the ones I pull out ever. But it was so helpful for me because in a sense, it gave me closure. It was like, oh, that's what happened to me. I was in a place where people were explicitly being racist. <laughs> it, just, it just feels better to be like, oh, that's what happened. Great. <laughs> I get it now. And does it make the pain any less intense? Actually, you know, it does. I mean, it's, it, I've buried it, right? It's just somewhere in the back of my mind that this happened to me. But now that I can give it a name, it's like, oh, okay, it makes sense to me now because I've been struggling with trying to make sense of it. And, and as I explained in last week's episode about microaggression, it's like part of the challenge is that you can't put it together. You can't explain it well. And it just kind of like just gnaws at you because you're like, what was that? And you're trying to make sense of it and you can't. But anyway, she named it for me and it helped me to have closure. And I can tell the story today and say that is my story of explicit bias. So thank you for letting me share my story and just really continue to complete the work of healing over time. Okay. So the reason I share this story is to share lessons as I do. And I like to think in threes. And so I'm going to give you three lessons that come to me from this space. And the first lesson I want to share with you is that. The struggle for people to right-size you to their experience is real. (laughs) Okay, you stay in a room by yourself. It's unlikely that you're going to experience any microaggressions or explicit bias. Unlikely. But you enter into a space, especially when you enter into a space where there are people who don't look like you or you don't look like most of the people in the room. Something happens. It's It's a shift that happens in the minds of, of the individuals in the room. And here's what it is. You enter into a room and they're like, wait a minute, who, who are you? <laughs> and then they comb through their mental imagery of people like you and how people like you fit in their world. And some of them don't have real experiences. Like it's like, oh, I don't have a real experience of people like you in my world. So let me go through. Mm, have I watched a movie where people like you fit? You know, they're trying hard to say, how do you fit in my world? And when they go through, it's like a computer that's like struggling to process information. It's like, "Mm, nope, nope, reject, reject, reject. This doesn't fit. And so there is a real struggle for people when they encounter somebody else who's different from them or different from their majority experience. And they are struggling to right size you to their experience. And if they have someone like you, they've experienced, maybe the person who used to help their mom clean, or, you know, maybe the person who helped out on their farm, something like that. They're like, oh, okay. I only have a frame of reference for people like you in this space. How are you not in that 
same shape? How are you not showing up in that way? Like, what is what is it about you? Like, it, it's it's a struggle. It's literally like if you think about the matrix and the machines, and it's like no, like there's a malfunction here. Like this doesn't fit into my programming. I mean, this is a real pain that people are experiencing. It's like when I comb through my programming, you don't fit like this. Like you're showing up in a way that doesn't fit in my programming and I need to release this pain. This is what's happening internally. Okay. And so the two things that will happen, either this person is going to be like, well, my programming must be wrong. (laughs) I need to reset and reframe and find a way to fit you that's different from my programming. That's one option and the road less taken. But the other option is to say, reject, reject, reject. This is a virus. Reject, reject. That's most of what happens. It's like, no, 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 this person doesn't fit. Mm-mm, doesn't fit. And then what they now start to do is the work of trying to fit you into their frameworks. Okay, yeah, I, I, you know, I know people like her in college, sure. But as a physician? Ooh, in leadership? Oh, no. Mm-mm, no, 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 mm, no, no, that's not, that's not my programming. And so they're trying to right-size you to what is their programming over years and years of programming. And this gets harder, people. The older people get, the harder this gets, because it's like, I have 60 years of experience. You don't fit like this. Who are you? And why are you trying to like challenge everything I have ever experienced for the last 60 years? How dare you? But, but help me, I, I need you to understand that this is not about you. Like You are clearly the precipitator of this challenge that, that people are experiencing. It's like you showed up in a way that they're not used to seeing people like you show up. And so now they are struggling with someone like you. It's like, where does she come from? How does she fit? They're struggling. You're feeling the struggle. So you enter into this room and you're like, I feel like I'm not accepted here. You are feeling that struggle. It's real. But what you're experiencing is really the energy that's coming from the people around you in trying to fit you, right-size you to their environment. And so sometimes that does come across as these microaggressions or these explicit acts of bias where it's like, no, you don't fit. I'm going to work very hard to make you fit into my frame of reference. And actually, to be honest, the damage that's done by people who are explicitly biased is, is, is big, and I don't want to minimize it. But actually, the implicit bias is the worst. And it's worse because they look friendly, they look kind, but then they throw out some barbs that it's like, oh, what, 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 were you being friendly? Was, was that a barb? Did you just, did you just hit me? Did you just bite me? Did, did you just put poison at me? Did, did, and you're struggling because, you know, on the outward, they, they seem so nice and so kind, so friendly, but it's like, mm, no, 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 there's something ugly there. And it's hard for you to name it. But that's part of what's going on inside this person. It's like, you don't fit. And so instead of doing the internal work of transformation, they're like, well, how can I get you to fit? This is the experience that you're having as somebody who's first, only, or different in your environment. And this is not just about race, people. It's not just about race. It is also about gender. It's also about sexual orientation. It's about any way in which you are different from the majority of people in the room. All of a sudden, people are struggling to fit you in And rather than accept that maybe their years of programming are not adequate to fit someone like you in and re-engineer their programming, it is easier and less painful to actually try to force you to fit their programming. And so all the microaggressions, the acts of explicit bias you experience is part of that struggle that they're experiencing internally being externalized to you to try to force you to fit. 
Now, if this person's your mentor, some of that looks like trying to fit you in a box. For me, it was my mentor saying, why are you working so hard? Just go back to clinic. Stop trying to do this research thing. It's too hard for you. I mean, they clearly were not speaking to my experience. Clearly, they were not speaking on my behalf. They were speaking to their experience. They're like, I don't have a place to put someone like you who has this kind of ambition, who's trying to do more. I feel like you've accomplished too much already. What do you mean you're trying to do more? Like what? It's very painful for them to experience you outside of the box that, they, that they've imagined you in. And they do struggle to put you in a box. And some of us escape because in college, the box is big enough. You have room to move around. So you don't even notice that people are putting you in a box. But the more and more you get into spaces where there are fewer and fewer people who look like you, the effect of that box is real. <laughs> it is big. It is bad. It is real. You can feel it. You can feel like you're being boxed in. And that's why the suffocation you feel, the stress that you feel, the energy that you feel is real. So I just want to share that with you. And I want to let you know that that's what's going on. What you're experiencing, what you're experiencing is that, that struggle that they're having with you and how you don't fit. Okay. That's lesson number one. <laughs> lesson number two is that the strategy they use to try to fit you into their boxes affects you but it can't hurt you until you allow it to hurt you. Okay, so how this works is that you come into the environment. You can feel the resistance against you, but you can't name it. You don't understand it because you're like, I didn't do anything bad. Or you're trying to explain it through yourself. You're like, okay, was it because I didn't speak up? Is it because I didn't do this? I didn't do that. You're trying to explain it, but you're having a hard time. And the strategy is, like you experience enough of that, you start to say, okay, must be something wrong with me. And then you start to internalize those experiences and you turn it against yourself and you start to, in a sense, self-destruct, right? You're internalizing hate. You're internalizing the unbelief that you're experiencing in your environment. And all of a sudden, you, as you internalize it, it's a dangerous thing. It starts to hurt you. And so the only way people who use microaggressions, who use explicit bias against you, the only way it works is because you take their negative energy, you internalize it, and then you start to self-destruct. And you take on hate, you take on anger, you take on bitterness, or you start to blame yourself as the source of the problem. Because many times what you'll experience is people will say, well, there's something wrong with you. And there's nothing wrong with you. They'll take your errors, they'll take your mistakes and magnify it. But the truth is that we're all human beings. So it's like, okay, you fell asleep and you missed the page. <laughs> That's just because you're human and you're tired. It's not because you're fundamentally flawed, right? It's not like, oh, wow, you have a defect. You need to be fixed. It's like, hey, I'm human. I, I fell asleep. <laughs> that happens. But what happens in these environments is people take that and magnify it. And they're like, there you go. That's evidence that you don't belong. It's evidence that you, you suck. It's evidence that you're not really qualified. It's evidence that you have to go remediate. What you're really hearing is them saying, okay, great. This makes perfect sense. You don't fit. This is how you fit as someone who's failing in this environment because you don't fit. But you take that, you internalize it. You're, you're like, oh, I suck because I was tired. If I was better, I would be able to like power through. I'm like, you're human. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> you're not flawed. You don't have problems. You're human. And being human is not a disease. It's just a state of being. <laughs> but this is the experience 
And so this experience that you have now allows you to turn inward and you start to attack yourself and speak negative words against yourself. And that's how you're showing up in the world. And you start to fulfill their prophecy of you because you've internalized that negative energy and you're using it against yourself. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And so they actually can't hurt you. But what happens is when you internalize the negative energy that you're feeling is that you hurt yourself. And that's why lesson number three is that the only way you can navigate the environment is with compassion. Compassion for yourself first. As someone who's actually experiencing literally hate, (laughs) but it's not necessarily hate directed against you as much as it's hate directed against themselves. Internally, they're struggling. It's like they're having a convulsion and they're flailing. And you happen to be there while they're flailing and they're hitting you hard. And you're like, oh my gosh, this hurts. It does hurt. (laughs) They're sick. It does hurt. They're struggling. They don't want the transformation that they need to make so that they can understand that you are a natural part of their environment. They don't want to make it. They're fighting it. So they're sick. They're having a convulsion. And yes, they're flailing. They're hitting you hard. It hurts. And the first thing you want to do is to have compassion on yourself and say, wow, this hurts. (laughs) And then to move away from the source of the pain. Just move. Someone's flailing. They're convulsing because they're sick. Move away. If it may be your mentor, move away. (laughs) Or come in with padding. Find a way to get padding. Get yourself ready for the psychological, emotional onslaught that's coming from the negative energy that you're experiencing that You can't verbalize, but it's real. But people around you are sick and convulsing because you don't fit into their programming. And the first thing you've got to do is have compassion on yourself. You are experiencing pain. It's usually emotional. It's mental, but it's real. You have to have compassion on yourself. Don't turn inward and say, I suck. Just realize that, hey, I I was tired and hungry. and. You know, that happens sometimes. And then the second part of that compassion is having compassion in others as well. And and it is hard to love the people who hate us. It is super hard. What you have to recognize is that they're sick people. You know, when you're in the hospital, you experience that patient who's sick, but they're yelling at people and just treating everybody poorly. They make you mad and you, you should remove yourself from the environment. But you have to recognize that they're sick. And these people around you who are struggling to fit you into a framework that for 60 years has excluded you in that way, they're really struggling and it's so big and so bad. (laughs) But they're sick. And maybe they're a dean. Maybe they have five grants. Maybe they have the biggest lab on campus. Maybe they're the most prestigious person in the institution. Yes, and they're still sick. And you should have compassion on them. Now, compassion doesn't mean that you tolerate their flailing out and hitting you and hurting you. (laughs) You move away because you have compassion on yourself, but you don't hate them because they're sick. You have compassion as you move away. Okay. So from that space, I want to call you to action. And call number one is to recognize the limitations of your environment. This is really important. Recognize the limitations of your environment. It's just, hey, this is the way it is every time. And I've talked about it in my prior episode about 
becoming a woman of color, you've got to first leave a place where everybody's like you and everybody thinks like you and enter into a space where people are not like you. So anytime you're in a space where most people don't look like you, whether it's a race thing, whether it's gender, whether it's sexual orientation, whatever it is, you will experience this thing where people are really internally struggling to fit you into frameworks that no longer serve. And instead of doing the work, they want to instead change you to fit their frameworks or destroy you or or chase you away. Because as long as you exist, you're challenging deeply held belief systems that they don't want to let go of. They have to break to change these belief systems. So you've got to understand that you're in that environment. You've got to understand that. And you can't be surprised. You can't be surprised anymore when these microaggressions come at you, when these episodes of explicit bias come. It's just a function of your environment. Now, I'm not saying you have to accept it. That's not what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It doesn't mean you have to accept it, but you do need to recognize it. Because sometimes what I get is people go in and they're like, I thought you were my friend. They're neither your friend or your enemy. They're experiencing a deep internal struggle with fitting you into their frameworks. And the moment you recognize that they're convulsing and they're hitting you, with their convulsions, whether it's microaggressions or explicit bias, you need to recognize that that's happening and step away. Be like, okay, I I thought you were my friend and maybe I was mistaken. Now I see that you're a sick person who's hurting and hurting others. I'm going to step away from you. And you just recognize that. And you're not shocked. You're not surprised. You're just like, okay, this is the limitation of this person. And I have to tell you that there are very few people in these environments who've done the work of breaking down the frameworks that they've lived with for years and, and, and are saying, okay, now I'm going to rebuild my framework in a way that it allows you to fit. There are very few people. Most people want to break you into their mold. They want to fit you into their box. That's why when you go around trying to please everybody, you struggle. Because for some people, their box is a little bit bigger. Their box for you is still a box, but it's a little bit bigger. Then the person next to them who's like, no, 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 no. This tiny box is where she fits. And so you're struggling. You're trying to please everybody. You're trying to make people happy. But really, you can only make them happy if you fit into the box and make them feel comfortable again. If somehow you start to suck and it's like, oh, great. Okay, makes sense. You clearly don't fit because you suck. They must have let you in some weird way. That's the only way that they can feel better. That's why when you go around trying to make everybody happy, you're not winning. You're not winning because the only way they can be happy is if you can go back, go back into the box that makes sense for them. So recognize the limitations of the people in your environment and and navigate in that way. The second thing is to make sure you don't succumb to hate. This is so big and so important because the problem with hate is that it is so vile. It's like acid. If you're holding it in your hand, it will hurt you first. It will hurt you first before it hurts the person beside you. Oh, yeah, it will inflict damage. Your hate will inflict damage on the person that your hate is directed towards. You felt the damage that other people's hate does to you. You know hate can hurt. But I need to let you know that you can't let hate be your strategy because it hurts you first. And a person who hates is a person who's sick. And a person who hates is a person who can't accomplish much. Hate cannot be your strategy. Don't succumb to hate. And part of not succumbing to hate is to move away from the environments where people hate. Just don't be there. 
you've got to move away. But people gather and they're bashing. Don't be part of that because that energy, that ugliness of hate will seep into you. It will infect you and it will make you sick as well. Do not succumb to hate. And call number three is that the only way you win, the only way you fight this evil is with love. And it's not just, it's not just love. It's not bland love. It's intentional, fiery, passionate, intense love. What do I mean by that? I mean, first, you got to love yourself. You've got to love yourself. Love how far you've come, the distance you've traveled, and love even more the person you're becoming. And part of that love allows you to say, I love myself too much to decide to fit in this box to make you happy. That's part of this journey of love, guys, is to say, I love the person I need to become. I love the person that's waiting for me. I love the transformation that's coming too much to say, I'm going to stop now and fit in your box. I get it. You don't want me to be a leader in this space. I get it. I get your struggle. And I love myself too much. I love the who I need to become too much to stop here and settle for the box you have for me. I love myself too much. I love myself too much to stay in this environment where you're flailing and you're convulsing to fit me into narrow frameworks that don't work. It hurts me. (laughs) You're flailing, your convulsion, it hurts me. And I love myself too much to keep staying here and receiving the blows that you are inflicting on me. I love myself too deeply and too passionately. I love my purpose, the person I'm becoming too much to stop here and be attacked and keep being attacked. I love myself too much. (laughs) And that is why it starts from a deep place of self-love, self-compassion. So important. So loving yourself is first. (laughs) And then the second piece of that is loving others around you. Oh, yeah, they've hurt you. Oh, they've hurt you bad. They've treated you so poorly. And you still got to love them. You still got to have compassion on them. And no, that doesn't look like staying while they keep hitting you. (laughs) You move out of the way. You're like, oh, you're you're convulsing here. And it's hurting me. I'm going to step away. Build boundaries around my environment. This is where I stay. Here are the boundaries. Your convulsing, flailing self stays outside of these boundaries. I love you. I have compassion on you. You're obviously needing to work through this. Don't come in my space, but don't hate them. (laughs) Make sure that you're safe. Make sure that you're not harmed because you love yourself. You make sure that you're not harmed. But you also show compassion on those who are struggling. You're not going to fix them. You're not going to educate them out of their bias. You're not going to educate them out of their wrong thinking. You're not. But you are going to show compassion. And you're not going to hate them. You're not going to direct negative hate energy at them. You're not going to do that. And that's what I'm calling you to. I'm calling you to not hate. I'm calling you instead to radically, radically love. And part of radically loving, (laughs) part of radically loving is loving yourself enough loving your purpose enough, loving the one who's called you to your purpose enough to say, I'm not going to tolerate hate and I'm not going to propagate hate. I'm not going to be a source of hate, but I'm also not going to allow myself to stay in an environment of hate. It's loving yourself, your purpose, who you're becoming enough 
to transcend your environment, to reject the boxes that your well-meaning mentor is trying to put you into, and to forge ahead to be all that you can be. And it's loving the people around you enough to say, I get that you're sick. I get it. I get your sickness. I get that you've hurt me and I don't hold it against you, but I am going to move away from you so you stop hurting me. (laughs) So your strategy for overcoming microaggressions, your strategy for overcoming hate and explicit bias is radical love. It's radical love first. Really, from my perspective for your maker, (laughs) who's called you to purpose, and it's really love for yourself first. In terms of the human perspective, it's love for yourself first. And loving who you're becoming so hard, so much, that you do not accept environments that limit you. It's love for the work you're doing and the purpose and the passion it brings so much that you will not accept environments that break you and hurt you and keep you down. And it's love and compassion for the people who are hurting around you, who are clearly convulsing and flailing, to say, I love you, I will not hurt you, but I also will not let you hurt me. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that was a long episode. But I needed to help you understand the framework of love and compassion and why it is the greatest strategy. It's the greatest tool to help you win. And some of you are struggling because you don't love yourselves. <laughs> You're like, I don't love myself. And that is where the work needs to happen. And this is why I think a coach really is helpful because you really do need to do the work of breaking down the layers of hate and bitterness and anger that you've allowed to accumulate over time and really do the work, the real, real work of, of just peeling back those layers and uncovering, uncovering you, beautiful you, and loving you, dirty, messy, you know, not perfect you. I think about it like a newborn baby. Like, I mean, that newborn baby is just pooping everywhere and peeing and just, they're just not doing anything great. But oh my gosh, they're so lovable. And that's you too. That's you too. Okay, you pooped. (laughs) And you're still lovable. And so many of you have internalized all the hate from your environments and you're giving hate back. And there's layers and layers of ugliness inside that, that needs to come out. You know, there's poison that needs to come out. And that is a work of healing that needs to happen. And you really do need somebody to help you heal. You need a space to heal. And my experience is that a coach helped me find that space to heal and gave me the tools to continue healing, noting that in my environment, there are still times that I get attacked and I still have to do the work of healing all over again. It is a continuous work so that you can go on to become the person that you're supposed to be. All right, this episode has been deep. (laughs) And I want to thank you to everyone who stayed with me until the end. And I hope it's healed you in some way. And I want to ask you that if it's healed you, that you would allow this episode to heal somebody else. You may think they're not a woman of color in hematology. You have to go back to my episode where I talk about what it means to be a woman of color in hematology. 
and that it's not about being a woman of color at all. It's not even about being in hematology. It's about being someone who resonates. And if there's someone who needs to hear this because it's part of their healing, I want to ask you to dare to forward it to them and say, you should listen to this. There are many wounded people around in medicine trying to win from a place of brokenness and hurt. And I have to tell you that sick people can accomplish a lot, but nowhere near where whole people who are healthy and well can accomplish. And I'm going to say that if you're going to really fulfill your purpose, your passion on earth as you're supposed to, you're going to need to come at your work from a place of wholeness and healing. It cannot be from a place of hurt. It cannot be from a place of anger. It cannot be from a place of bitterness or hate. And so I'm encouraging you to do the work that's needed to become the fullest version of yourself that is needed. Thank you for listening to me today. And I look forward to talking with you again next time.